Yeah, okay, you guys ready to get started? No. How many of you have ever heard a really good biblical talk on heaven? About to. You have, not many. I think maybe once in my life I have. I can't really remember. But it's kind of a big deal. Aaron's going to talk about what we can expect. But as Christians, you know, we're kind of all looking forward to this. And if we don't know, I don't know if you're going to use this exact phrase, and uh, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but a friend of mine said, Austin's, Austin's, Austin just asked me, I I don't think so, but he said, he said this, he goes, why is it that some people are willing to blow themselves up for what they believe, you know, not saying that all people of that particular faith do that, we have friends in that faith, Um, but he said, why is it that a lot of them are willing to do that? And it's because they're expecting to get, like, 72 virgins as soon as they detonate that bomb, you know? And he said their expectation of what, what comes ahead drives them to be willing to do anything on this planet, you know? And, um, and he goes, what if we as Christians were so excited about what we have to look forward to that it changed our entire perspective on how we live our lives and actually lived them to share God's love with the people around us. And I thought, that really got me thinking. And Aaron's actually going to paint that picture for us this morning. But just as we get started, Aaron, a lot of you guys haven't seen her as much, maybe more this year than last year. But uh, she is my roommate. And she's actually been my roommate for about eight years now, a little over. And she's my wife. I married her. We met right here. She flirted with me at a retreat just like this about ten years ago. <laughs> That's why I decided to go for her is because she pursued me so hard. No, just kidding. I, I but anyway, she's an awesome woman. She's probably the most humble, kind, gentle uh, person that you've ever met in your life. And even when I am a... a um, a bit rough around the edges, as most men are. Uh, she is super patient with me. She never nags me. She's kind, and she's generous beyond what I deserve. And uh, she's just great. So Rabbi Zacharias said that who you marry determines whether you will make your heaven or hell on earth. And so as Aaron talks about heaven, uh, she is my heaven on earth. But uh, but heaven in heaven will be even better. But I, I just want to start out by introducing this uh, this awesome woman to you guys. And give her a hand. It's going to be great. Talks. 
Like angels with pearly beak fryers cooking them up. Man, shut up. It's just rain pops. What do they grow on trees? Pops on trees. That's your idea of heaven. Yeah. There you go. Do you think there'll be tops in heaven? What? Tops. In heaven. We're like angels with pearly deep fryers cooking them up. Man, it's heaven. And just rain tops. Or they grow on trees. Tots on trees. That's your idea of heaven. There won't be any tots on trees in hell. I can guarantee you that. If we eat in heaven, I think it'd be something healthier than this. Like carrots or apples. Not something that's going to give you a heart attack. Dude, aren't we dead? I mean... Your soul can't get a heart attack, and you don't even have a body in heaven. Then how are you going to eat your tot? <laughs> Maybe it's a spiritual tot. <laughs> spiritual tot. One is God, others don't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
of the perceptions that I've heard throughout the years, like, one, heaven is boring. Uh, people in heaven have no idea what's going on on earth right now. Uh, you have no memory of the past. Uh, you're a bun- just a bunch of spirits floating around. Oh, a place where we sing for all of eternity. Uh, everyone wears a toga or Middle Eastern style robe. <laughs> we know everything, so there's no more learning, because you just know everything. We are perfect, so therefore nothing is a challenge. Uh, we can do anything instantly. It will be like Eden, no technology, a jungle with 85 degree temperatures forever. <laughs> that people will be equal in relationships, we will only be satisfied singing to God. Um, that it's one big church service. And loss of relationship with, it, with your spouse and those dear to you because we'll know them, but we won't be able to have the same closeness because we can't be married to them any longer. Uh, you're, so, like, for example, your mother is no longer your mother, or your child is no longer your child. And another one, who wants to be Jesus' bride if you are a man? So, <laughs> so these are, like, different perceptions that I've heard people have of heaven. And I want to paint a picture for you of heaven and uh, what our view of heaven should be like and why do we have different uh, perceptions of heaven that don't paint such a pretty picture of it. And I want to start with how the early Christians lived in regard to heaven. In Hebrews 11:13 through 6, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, had left, they would not have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In Hebrews 13.28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful... And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. In Philippians 3.20 it says, But our citizen, citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.13 But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And Paul said in Philippians 1.21-24, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And John said in Revelations 22:20, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So these uh, early Christians... They longed for heaven. They thought about it. They wanted it. They looked at this planet and were like, this, this is nothing compared to what's coming. So all of a sudden, how did it switch? How did we get this perception that heaven is going to be a boring place or we can't even begin to imagine or any of these things? Um, Randy Alcorn in his book said, We have settled on an image of the, of the never-ending sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen, and our heart sings. Forever and ever, that's it, that's the good news, and we sigh and feel guilty that we are not more spiritual. We lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. The reason why there's all these misperceptions of heaven is, number one, who's in control of this earth right now? Anybody want to guess? 
Yeah, the Father of Lights, right? In Revelation 13, 6, it says, He opened his mouth to blasphemy God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So he has lied to us about heaven, and we believe these lies, and our society believes these lies, and the world believes these lies. Um, we have this misperception that anything that is physical is evil, and so therefore we're going to be spirits floating around in heaven, because anything less would be evil. Uh, we have this idea that sin is more exciting. Uh, the assumption that sin is exciting and righteousness is boring, uh, because whether or not you like to be honest and admit it, church can be pretty boring sometimes, or all the time. I don't know. I kind of have trouble paying attention in church. Uh, and we have this assumption that we're going to miss out on things here on earth. So I've heard a lot of people like, I don't want Jesus to come back because I want to get married. Uh, I don't want to have kids. I want to experience all these things that life has to offer before Jesus comes back, right? Um, and then we have this misunderstanding of verses. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However, as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So we look at that verse and we say, Well, obviously, we can't even begin to imagine heaven, so why even try, right? So like, we can't even think about what it's like. So, so we just lose sight of thinking about it. We lose sight of imagining it. Uh, we just get focused on the here and now and Heaven is just going to be in the future. I don't need to worry about it or think about it. We also think that the spiritual thing to do is to only be excited about God. We take verses like Psalm 73, 25. Who am I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. So we look at these verses and we misinterpret them thinking we're only supposed to desire God. But if you think about it, um, God is good. And so what God creates is good. And so when we enjoy what he creates, it's like when I give my daughter a gift, I don't get mad at her if she enjoys the gift and instead of just coming straight to me and just loving all over me, right? I'm really excited when Eliana enjoys what I give her. And that's the same way with God. Like He wants us to be excited about things, excited about heaven to come. So, painting a picture of what heaven will be like. Going back to 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, it says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. And then it goes on. It says, But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So it says right there, We and ourselves cannot even begin to comprehend what he has planned for us. And then it goes on and says, But by his Spirit we can't. So, let your imagination run wild here. Uh, Ephesians, or Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So if you look at all cultures and all majority of religions, um, they all desire for what's coming next. They all have views of the afterlife. Um, and all cultures long for something better in this world. And that's because within us is this innate longing for heaven or the afterlife. Or we are homesick for Eden, so to speak. Every time I go traveling, for example, uh, Nate and I have got to travel the world a lot. And one of our favorite places to go is Greece. And before I went to Greece, 
I knew I was going, so I was really excited about it, and I felt like I was going to attain this satisfaction when I got there. But then I got there, and I realized, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and it was beautiful, and I loved it, but it didn't fulfill this innate longing I have. It didn't meet the expectation I had of this fulfilled longing that I was looking for. And that's because we are looking for eternity. Um, So things on this earth will never fulfill that deep longing that we have. Um, We have a longing for perfect relationships. And so why do you see so much divorce? It's because, well, this isn't working out, so the next one will be better. Have you ever heard of the grass will be greener on the other side of the fence, right? It's because we have this innate longing for eternity and heaven and perfection because we weren't made for this earth. There's a story. It's by John Eldridge, and it's in his book, A Journey of Desire. It's about a sea lion who had lost the sea and lived in the desert where it was dry and dusty. It says, how the sea lion got there, no one could remember. It all seemed so very long ago. So long, in fact, it appeared he had always been there. Not that he belonged in such an arid place. How could that be? He was a sea lion, after all. But as you know, once you have lived so long in a certain spot, no matter how odd you come to think of it as home. So this place is not our home. If you look at Revelation 21. Oh, actually, let's go first to John 14, 1 through 3. Romans 
8, 19-22, says the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And I'll explain that in a second. It says in Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And again in Isaiah 65.17, it says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. So what we see around us, the beauty that we see around us, is just a glimpse of what it once was. And whatever we love about this place, it's what's going to be there. Does that make sense? Um, when the Bible talks about, uh, well, when John writes about, uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, he's using a description about earth, meaning we know earth. He doesn't have to write full description of what heaven is going to be because it's going to be an earth. It might be this one because it says right there, um, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Uh, and it's waiting to be liberated from bondage. So this earth, it sounds like it's going to be redeemed. It's going to be renewed and remade. Just like we're a new creation, the earth itself will be a new creation. Isn't that pretty exciting? Uh, so we know what the earth is like. The earth has uh, rivers, lakes, mountains, meadows, forests, cities, countries. It has weather. In Revelation 21, it mentions a mountain. In Ezekiel 34, 26 through 27, in the new earth, it's talking about rain. It refers to rain and seasons. So we always think of, it's going to be a jungle, 85 degrees, but it looks like this earth is going to have seasons, and it's going to have weather, and lakes, and rivers, and mountains. And so imagine, just let your imagination go wild and think about everything you love on the earth. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be unique and a beautiful. Uh, if you look outside of those mountains in the background, imagine, if you will, going to heaven, and you know, living here in, in Colorado, I think the mountains are beautiful, but I lose sight of how spectacular they are, because I get used to them. But when we go to heaven, everything will be new all the time. Like We'll look at those mountains, and we'll never get old. We'll admire their beauty forever. You know, that first time you see something, the first time you taste something, that's how it, our experiences can be in heaven. Isn't that exciting? So, if you look at Hebrews 11.16, it talks about heaven being a country. So we know countries, right? They have culture, they have cities, they have uh, topography, of course. Uh, they have land. So there will be different countries in heaven. In Hebrews 11.10 and Revelation 21.2, it talks about cities. So, Jerusalem will be a city. And what's in cities? Arts, entertainment, like uh, music, streets, transportation. So, this is, we're familiar with cities, right? We know what a city is like. Of course, picture this, though. There's no pollution. There's no crime. So, you can let your kid, I don't know if there'll be children in heaven, but you, there'll be no fear of your safety. Every time I go to a city... I'm like, oh, no, I don't know. My dad always taught me. He grew up in inner city Oakland, so he has kind of a disdain for cities. And every time we go traveling, he's like, make sure you look all around you. You know, don't 
don't act ignorant, um, walk straight and fast, like you know where you're going so nobody will think you're a tourist and take advantage of you. So we always have these fear of danger in a city. But there will be no danger. We won't have any fear. We'll walk out our door and all by ourselves and not have to worry about what's going to happen. You know? um, in Revelation 21 24, it says, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. And then again in Revelation 21 26, it says, The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it, talking about the new Jerusalem. So this is referring to the capital city of heaven. Um, Revelation 5 9, And with your blood you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In Revelation 7 9, it says, After this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. So we're not going to lose our cultural identity when we go to heaven or our diversity of people on this planet. So every color of skin, every language you're going to hear in heaven, but also it sounds like that we're going to have one language too that we'll all understand. But we'll also have other languages, it sounds like. And when he talks about tribes, tribes are a part of a family unit. So it sounds like we're still going to have our little family unit, obviously in a different perspective, but we're all going to come from the same family. So that's pretty cool. So my mom will still be my mom in heaven. And, and what, what is a culture? Think about that. Like if you think about France, for example, they have this way of acting and they have... Uh, their food, and they have their music, and they have what they bring to history, you know, their historical perspective. And so we'll have cultures like that in heaven. And this is pretty cool. It talks about a new heaven. And if you look at the different verses where it talks about, behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That word for heaven is the same wording in Genesis, discussing stars and sun, the sun and galaxies. Um, so this, the galaxy and the universe, the stars, will still be here. We'll still be able to admire the stars. And when it talks about God will be our light, it doesn't say, or, and it says that there will be no more need for the sun. The sun will not be our light anymore. But it doesn't say that the sun will go away. It just says we won't have need for it. So this is something that we'll still be able to admire. She'll be able to admire the moon and the stars and the sun. In, in Revelation, if you read, it talks about trumpets, books, streets, measuring rods, buildings. This is all technology, right? And so if they have all these things, why wouldn't they have, I don't know, baseball, um, cars, planes, but obviously a lot better technology than probably what we have here. I mean, who says that when we get to heaven we're going to be stupider than we are here on earth, you know what I mean? Why can't we create and why can't we build and engineer, you know, especially since our minds are going to be much more developed than they are here. Right now I heard it said that we only use 10% of our brain, so imagine being able to use 100% of your brain, what you're going to be able to accomplish in heaven. And this is pretty cool. In Isaiah 9-7 it says, Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Okay, when you look at that, you're like, you think about it. If you really think about it, you think, well, if when God um, judges the world and ends all this yuckiness that you see 
Won't he own everything? How is it that it says the increase of his government will have no end? And think about it, by nature, God is a creator. He's an engineer. He's an artist, right? And so if you look at that verse, what it seems to be saying is that God is going to be forever creating new worlds, enlarging the universe. Isn't that pretty cool? And so thinking about technology and God creating the new universe, we right now have the capability of landing on the moon, of even landing on Mars right now. So imagine with all of eternity and the capabilities we're going to have, what can't we do? What can't we build? What can't we explore? You know what I mean? That's pretty cool to think about. So the way we're going to be in heaven is in Revelation 21, 27. It says, nothing will impure will ever enter it. Talking about heaven. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. So there will be no more sin in heaven. So if you think about all these things you don't like about people, that will cease to exist. Everything good that you see, that's what's going to remain. When you think about your failures and your weaknesses and your insecurities and everything you hate about yourself, there won't, it won't be there anymore in heaven. In Revelation 21, 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That to me is like super exciting because I have experienced the pain of losing someone and it is not fun. And just the fact that there will be nothing like that ever again is really exciting to me. Um, our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51-55 Let's look at it real quick. Corinthians 15, 51-55. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And then again in... It says in Philippians 3.21, Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, it's talking about Jesus there, transform our lower bodies, lowly bodies, to be like his glorious body. So let's think about, a lot of times we think... Like this skit, that was a really funny skit about uh, tots in heaven. And they're talking about, well, we won't have a body, so maybe it'll be a spiritual tot. Well, (laughs) if you look at these verses, it says, this lowly body will become imperishable. And it says we will be like Jesus, like his body, we'll have a body like his. And if you think about, after Jesus was raised from the dead, was he raised spiritually, just a spirit? Yeah, he was, his body was raised from the dead, literally. And then that body descended in heaven. So, there is no body for Jesus here on earth. It is gone. It's not here anymore. So, and it says that our body will be like his. And so this, this little body that you have will be raised back. And with a few added perks, of course. But 
so it won't be this miserable, uh, limited body. It'll be glorious, like it says. Um, so no more sickness, no more, no more icky stuff. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42-43, it says, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So when we are raised, think about the way your life is now. When, you're, when you hit your 30s, which is where I am right now, that's your peak. From here on out, my body is going to go downhill. <laughs> Which isn't a cool thought. <laughs> so right now, you guys are in your peak. You know, your peak of your brain power, your peak of your body. I was talking to Nate recently. Uh, I was saying, I just cannot remember anything lately. I was saying, I, like, a few days ago, I forgot my daughter Kara's name for, like, 30 seconds. I was like, uh, who, who's, who's this? <laughs>
9 through 11. And this is really cool thought for me. It says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under heaven the altar of yeah, under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Okay, that's not a very pretty picture of people mourning, but the implications of this verse are pretty astounding. If you look at these people, this is a description of people in heaven. What are they saying? They're saying, how long until you avenge our blood? So they remembered that they had been murdered, and they remembered that they're, and they know about the evil people on the planet, and they know that God has not yet um, avenged them or judged these people for them. And so clearly they have memory of their life on earth. And if you look also, it talks about, I forget where I was going to look it up, and I forgot, um, that whenever a lost soul comes to Christ, there's rejoicing in heaven in the presence of angels. Well, who is rejoicing? People there. So they know what's going on in heaven. Or on earth, excuse me. They know. People in heaven know intimate details about what's going on on earth. Yeah? So, 
one thing that you're going to see is um, we'll have continuity from what we do here on this earth and who we are to who we are in heaven. If you look at Luke 16, 19 through 31. Jesus says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us you have, and you a great chasm has been, yeah, has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg of you, Father, send Lazarus to my house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to him. Then, No, Father, Abraham said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, that even if someone rises from the dead. Now, this passage was a parable, so we might not... We, I don't know if we can take it literally that there was a, really a poor man named Lazarus and really this rich man, but I think what... Um, Jesus is trying to point out is uh, that in heaven there are real people uh, with thoughts, the same identity, with memories, awareness from their lives and relationships on earth, um, indicating direct continuity from their earthly lives to their afterlives. If you look again in Matthew 6:19, it says, "Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but where, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves." Break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. In Matthew 16, 27, it says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. If you look in Matthew 25, 14 through 28, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained the five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, Wicked, lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So, as you can see from these verses, who we are, what we do, is very important when we go to heaven. Um, We get there by grace, uh, but it's still important that we live for him and that we store up our treasures in heaven. Because when we get there, we'll have probably the same knowledge, because knowledge is a gift, the same, um, but we'll talk more about that in a minute, Um, the same talents, abilities, um, and including, you know, did you live your life for Christ, or did you live your life for yourself? And so it is, it's extremely important to have and live with eternal perspective, because what you do on this planet does matter, Um, it will carry on to the next. Now, this is pretty exciting. In Revelation 6, this is all really exciting, but this part really, really, really excites me. Revelation 6, 9 through 11, and this is talking about the martyrs again. I want to go over again. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So right there, if you look at it, they're asking God a question. How long? Now, I don't know about you, but that seems to imply that they don't know it all. And if they don't know it all, apparently we're going to still be learning in heaven. If you look at, which is exciting because I really like to learn. If you think about it, God alone is omniscient, which means that he knows everything. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, Now if we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. If you rightly translate it, this should say, we will know in a fuller, more intensive way. That is, without any error or misconceptions in our knowledge. Now I think about my knowledge every time I say, well, this is what happened. I'm basing it on, yeah, I think this is what happened. I'm not for sure, you know. And so we have kind of an incomplete knowledge. When we get to heaven, all those little holes that we have with our knowledge will be filled, and we won't. The knowledge that we do know will be full and complete. So, so thinking about all the arguments that are started, that won't be an issue anymore because our knowledge will be complete. If you look at Ephesians 2, 6-7, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. And the word show means to reveal. So in the coming ages, so for eternity, he's going to be continually revealing himself to us. That's pretty cool. So I think about my relationship with Nate. And when I first we first got married, I thought, oh, I know Nate so well. But in reality, I only knew bits and part, pieces of Nate. I knew his history... I knew a little bit about his character, but as we've been married for eight years, a lot of those missing pieces have been put together, and I'm learning more about Nate and his character and how he responds, and, uh, and that's what it's going to be with God and knowledge is that we're going to continually learn. So if you think about it, God made us learners, 
He made us to investigate, explore, create, and build. We aren't, um, not knowing something is not a bad thing. We think of it as though it's part of the curse, but if you look clearly, Adam and Eve did not know everything. So, he just, it looks like God desires us to continually expand our knowledge and continually learn. So if what we do in this life matters so much, it would seem that the knowledge we have gained will come with us too. So think about technology and science and research that will carry on over on all the advancements and stuff, but we'll be able to build on that and grow and uh, make it better. And all those things that we didn't understand and were just theories, we'll know fully and, and it'll be explained better. Um, so, one thing to think about is heaven never teaches sameness. That people will be the same, we'll have all the same knowledge, we'll have the same abilities and strength, and that doesn't seem apparent. It seems that God loves uniqueness, uh, and he loves, because um, it all glorifies him, you know? So, I mean, just think about each one of our fingerprints is, is completely on our hands is completely different. And everything about us is completely different from everybody else. There's not a person on this planet like us. Even twins, identical twins are different. So God loves uniqueness. And so I don't think we'll have equality in the sense of position or knowledge or anything like that. But I think we'll be able to learn and grow and, and use the resources he's given us. Yeah? Is your document Yeah, and I'll explain that in a minute. Okay, cool. Okay. So, so, think about what you like to do here on this planet. And, uh, or things that you want to do, but you fear you'll never learn. Uh, like learning surfing, or diving, or uh, learning how to fly, or... Uh, I'd like the ideas are endless of things we'll learn how to do. Let's see. So not knowing everything sounds like we will have limitations with our knowledge. And some people will be better at some things than others. But the cool thing is remember that there's no more sin or suffering or so there'll be no insecurities. So even if someone can do something better than me, that's okay because God has made me unique and the way he made me is the way I'm going to glorify him and worship him and praise him with who he made and I'll be excited about this person's strength and abilities and what they learn and they can teach me that's going to be exciting we're going to be able to teach each other what we learn if you look in Romans 11:29, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable so irrevocable means it'll never be revoked so what you're gifted here in here on earth will transfer to heaven, but it's like you get to add to it. So my gifts and abilities that God has given me, I'll be able to use in heaven. So thinking about someone that uh, was young and talented, that was a good person and died young, you always we always think of that was kind of a waste of life. He had so much more life to live. But if heaven is more meaningful than earth, don't you think that 
those talents that looks like they were wasted will carry over to heaven. And so his life will be more meaningful and those things will be more meaningful in heaven. If you look at the martyrs, again, they're asking, once again, they're asking a question, but they're saying, how long? So they've been waiting for something. So that would look like there's time in heaven. If you also look at some verses, it says that there's silence in heaven for half an hour. Uh, so there is time. We won't have a timeless existence. There will be time. But the cool thing is, what we don't like about time is that it, it's full of pressure. We won't be pressured anymore. So that that's what we despise about time. We don't despise time, but we despise the pressure about time. And time existed before the fall, if you think about it. So it was good. Time was a good thing. And we, as humans... We were made from, our bodies were made from the dust of the earth, so to speak. And so, we are uniquely linked to time. God, however, is not linked to time, but we are. Now, going back to hierarchy that you're talking about. In Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, this is talking about Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. So we look at this verse now, and a lot of times we put it in our perspective of a fallen planet. We think of, well, you, what they mean by that is destroying creation. That's not at all what it means. It means that Adam and Eve had the job, we had the job of um, basically managing creation, managing nature, um, Subduing it, meaning putting it under our control, ruling it, so to speak. And what happened was that got twisted, our purpose got twisted. And so now you see pollution, you see destruction, you see um, you know, animals tormented um, and tortured in, in a really sad state. And you see um, just the decay of this universe. So... And if you think about what we are able to do, I think thinking about subduing, it means manipulating resources. So we were able to just, um, engineer a wheel, build fire, um, use the materials of this planet to, to advance our culture. Does that make sense? And so I think that's what subduing is. And I think when we go, when the new heaven comes, I think that's going to be, or the new earth, that is going to be, he, God is going to redeem that original purpose. And so it'll be in a much better way with no sin and no destruction. So in 2 Timothy 2.12, it says, If we endure, we will also reign with them. So it's talking about reigning with Christ. So I was always confused about that. Like, what would we reign? We're going to be equal, right? And the Bible teaches equality and worth. Like, we're all going to mean the same thing to God. He's going to love us unconditional. Unconditionally, It doesn't, however, say that there's going to be equality of position. And in fact, um, if you look at Luke 19, 11 through 26, it's talking about the talents again. Um, but it's talking about giving these servants tens, like this one that um, had ten cities to rule. This one had five cities. And so they obviously weren't equal in what God gave them. Um, and the one who had more receive more, the one who is faithful will be faithful to have more. Yeah? 
bring that. So God will give us more or a higher position um, I think what he's saying is that he's given us what he's given us our talents and what he's given us to be faithful with. Because um, if you look at him, they weren't equal at the beginning of what they were like. All of us in this room are still not equal in what we were given um, to be faithful with. And so I think that some people can be faithful with more, and so in heaven they're going to be faithful with you more than some others. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, but yeah, it depend. It does depend on what you do with your talent. And it says to so the one that just hid his talent instead of used it for the glory of God, um, was t- things were taken from him. So it doesn't sound very cool. <laughs> so yeah. So going back to it, really does matter what you do on this planet. It's not just I'm going to just sit and enjoy my life and then I have fire insurance in heaven. You know, it says that um, in First Corinthians it talks about how. You know, some of us will be saved, but as through fire, you know, and the quality of our work will be revealed. So, but. What would your recommendation be for, because you could take that the wrong way as well. You could be like, ah, oh, I'm just going to do, 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 so I can, right. I can be fine and have Well, putting Christ on the throne, um, in, in Romans 12, one, it talks about living um, being a living sacrifice to God, and that's what worship is. Um, and so what that entails, being obedient to Christ, and it's not necessarily do, 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 because God does command us to rest. So, um, yeah, no, that's not just... He commands us to be faithful with what he's given us to be faithful with. That doesn't mean we should add a whole bunch more to it, because maybe he hasn't asked us to be faithful with those things. And so in doing so, you'd be being unfaithful to something. Okay, so if you think about it, what is in a city? People are in cities, right? And so these people were given charge of cities, and so people live in cities, animals live in cities, and so thinking about what we will reign as each other and animals and nature and stuff. So the original idea will be regained. If you look in Revelation 21-24, this is talking about the new earth, referencing the new earth. It says, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. So he's even mentioning kings of the earth there will bring their splendor to Jerusalem. So they're different cultural advancements they'll bring to God and worship God with. So imagine you get to, what you're gifted with and what you're talented with, you get to go out and, and do it for the glory of God and bring it to him and say, look what I did for you, you know? That's pretty exciting. Okay. So, in going back to Isaiah 9-7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So, thinking about having all of eternity develop technology. So, anyone, I know Leah likes sci-fi. Um, so, if God is going to be continually creating, is he going to be are there going to be new creatures that we've never seen before or imagined? Uh, new worlds that we get to go and rule over, you know? In, in Genesis 4.17, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all of the days of your life. So right now, work is not fun. And when we think about work, we're like, Ugh, yuck, that sounds like boring. But in Revelation 22.3, 
It says, no longer will there be any curse. And that is part of the curse, is that work is awful and hard. But if you think about it, we still gain some satisfaction from work. So imagine work that is the you are specifically tailor-made to do, and that is going to be completely satisfying, and that you get better and better at. Um, it says in, so we're not just going to be singing and having one long church service. It says in Revelation 7.15, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And then again in Revelation 22.3, it says his servants will serve him. So serving is work. We're going to be doing work in heaven. We're going to have a specific purpose, like someone said, I forget who it was. We're going to have a specific purpose tailor-made to our gifts and our talents and our abilities. And for our relationships, oh, and one thing, um, we're going to have perfect emotions. In Jeremiah 17, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So we're constantly lying to ourselves, believe it or not. And But all that distortion will be done away with in heaven. And everything will be exciting. If you think about it, boredom is a result of sin. Sin equals boredom. Uh, there will boredom will be done away with in heaven. So there will be no more boredom. That to me makes heaven sound pretty exciting. <laughs> Just thinking about all the times I'm bored here on earth, heaven will not have that ever again. Um. So in Luke 6.21, it talks about laughter, um, and laughter, like we will have lots of laughter in heaven. So think about going back to cultural stuff, and there will be music. It talks about music in heaven, so we'll have, maybe we'll have concerts, dancing, storytelling, um, lots of thrills, and even some risk. I don't know. It says that the trees tree of life is for the, the leaves of it is for the healing of the nation so maybe you can scrape your knee or something I don't know that's just that's just a guess that doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical um, if you look at Mark 10 14 through 15 it talks about how much God loves a childlike spirit and what do children love to do they love to play right now my daughter is probably in, with her stroller putting rocks in it and discovering and playing and having lots of fun. So think about all the things you like to do to play, like riding motorcycles or four-wheelers or climbing or snowboarding. Because if there's going to be weather in heaven, there'll probably be snow. Because snow is not a bad thing. Imagine how much glory it gives to God to see those peaks over there covered with snow, you know. Maybe you can climb a, I don't know, a a million-foot mountain or something. (laughs) Because it talks about mountains, you know. So, um, <laughs> so or maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll be able to fly without, you know, airplanes, but it sounds like our body will have some limitations, so maybe we won't, I don't know. Or maybe we'll be able to die without oxygen hundreds of feet in this and in, in stuff. It says there will be no more sea, but that could just mean the salt sea, but there's a river, and rivers have to go somewhere, so there might be a really big lake that's like a sea. So who knows? Um, and we'll, we'll get to have up-close views of shooting stars, maybe, I don't know, or stars. Um, get to go visit a star, I don't know. For our relationships, it says that we're the bride of Christ. And I know for guys that kind of like, that doesn't jive too well with me. 
But if you think about it, God is using that as a picture of what your relationship with Him will be like. Because there's going to be billions of people in heaven. And, but when He says that we're the bride of Christ, if I think about being a bride of my husband, I have uh, intimate knowledge of my husband. And intimacy is not just sex. It's, it's you're sharing a life together. Uh, you have unlimited access. I have unlimited access to Nate. Uh, and that's the way it's going to be with God. If you look at um, Revelation 22.4, it says we're going to see him face to face. In Revelation 2.17, it says that he's going to give us a white stone with a new name written on it that is only going to be known to us and God. So he's going to give us, like, a little, we're going to have a little shared secret with God that, um, that of our, who we are and our identity and so that's intimate. That suggests a lot of intimacy with God. So we're not going to be all, we can all just hang out with God at the same time. You don't get one-on-one attention. That's very intimate attention. So imagine each of us are going to get to walk with Jesus and have unlimited access to Jesus. Isn't that exciting? We get to walk with him like the disciples did. Because we're without sin and without all this nasty stuff that we have here on this earth. And a lot of times, like going back to my relationship with Nate, it always used to sadden me thinking, well, we won't be married anymore. That's bummer, you know? But think about how important love is. You know, to love your neighbor as yourself is a command. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says that now these remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So love is going to remain for eternity, right? And it's the greatest thing. God is love, it says. So why would it be that all of a sudden I'm not as close to Nate in heaven or I'm not as close to my children in heaven? What it appears to be is that I will be closer to Nate in heaven. I will be closer to my children in heaven. I will be closer to my mom in heaven. We will be able to hang out and have a close relationship. And and that doesn't necessarily, isn't a bad thing if you want to be with another person more than with someone else. If you think about it, Jesus was close, closer to John than the Twelve, and closer to Peter, James, and John than the Twelve, and then closer to the Twelve than the Seventy, and so on. He was really close to his mother, and took care of her at the cross. Um, but anyway, so, so closeness does not equal, is not a bad thing. So if you saw Adam and Eve walking down the streets of gold admiring uh, the tree of life, holding hands, would you get mad at them for it? Probably not. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but you say that our relationships, yeah, they'll, they'll go deeper, but they won't be the same in the sense that you won't have that family structure. Um, well, it says that every tribe, right? And so that a tribe represents a family. So I think it'll be, I don't, I think... It'll be different, but we'll still be known as children of this person. Or Yeah, we were married on earth, and now our relationship is even more significant. But we don't have that same relationship. Does it make sense? Just a better one. So. Right, we're not there yet. We don't. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I don't have the quote on me right now, but C.S. Lewis said, trying to explain, for example, sex to a, a, a kid who's never experienced it, and all of a sudden he says, well, will there be, can you eat chocolate? And, you know, and you're like, well, no, you're not even, that's not even what you're thinking about when you're being intimate with your spouse. Chocolate doesn't even enter the equation, but, but I want to eat chocolate, you know. So there's just like, 
<laughs> two different, you know, like, oh, there's no chapa involved. So there's so much, it just doesn't, they don't line up. Like, yeah, we can't comprehend it, you know what I mean? Because we've never experienced a relationship. But, so, <laughs> Nate was explaining to me what that seems to a guy when he said there's no more sex in heaven. He said that doesn't sound exciting. Okay. I know. So it's like chocolate versus. <laughs> I just gotta say the way you worded it. Aaron said, "In heaven, we won't even need sex because what? We'll, we'll be so intimate." And I said, "Like for guys, that's kind of like the whole point." <laughs> so anyway, it all makes sense. May we be like those, like the early Christians that were anticipating heaven. And like John said, come Lord Jesus, come. And I want to read in the Chronicles in Narnia, The Last Battle, by C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis used a lot of allegory in this about what heaven would be like. Um, who of you have not read or know anything about... Um, Anything about um, oh, I lost my about C.S. Lewis or his books? Okay, well, come to me afterwards. I'll, I'll tell you about it. Okay, so think of this as heaven right now. It's like the end of the world and then the new earth. It is as hard to explain how the sunlit land was different from the old Narnia as it would be to tell you how the fruits of that country taste. Perhaps you will get some idea of it if you think like this. You may have been in a room in which there was a window that looked out on a lovely bay of the sea, or a green valley that wound away among mountains. And in the wall of that room, opposite to the window, there may have been a looking glass. And as you turned away from the window, you suddenly caught sight of that sea or that valley all over again in the looking glass. And the sea in the mirror or the valley in the mirror were in one sense just the same as the real ones, yet at the same time they were somehow different. Deeper, more wonderful, more like places in a story. In a story you have never heard, but very much want to know. The difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like that. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than that. If you ever get there, you will know what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that sometimes, that it sometimes looked a little like this. And we can think of it this way. The reason why we love this earth is that sometimes it looks a little like heaven is.